right, it's good to be back. One second. I like to be able to see out. All right. As Pastor Aaron, lovely Pastor Aaron, introduced, uh, I'm Pastor Brian. I'm from New Philly Church. I'm also a worship leader at Itaewon Campus. You know, later on, if you get a chance, please come talk to me. I'd love to share with you the amazing testimonies in my life. I'm only going to get to share just a little bit of that today. There's just a powerful word that I really feel that I must share with you guys tonight. And I'm just really excited for this. So, yeah, I remember being here three plus years ago. Three plus years ago when it first changed from YICF to Emmaus. And it might, it might just seem like a name change for convenience, but it wasn't just a name change. You know, in the Bible, when God does stuff in people's lives, he changes their names. I'm teaching my students right now in my Bible class. I'm also a teacher. I teach math and Bible. Very, very related. All right? <laughs> very related. And I'm teaching them right now. When Abram goes to Abraham, there's a big shift that happens in his life. Same thing when Sarai goes to Sarah. When, Paul, when Saul goes to Paul, there is a big shift that happens. When this ministry changed from YICF to Emmaus, there was a colossal shift that took place, and the fire of God was released in a way that it hadn't been before. Same thing with New Philly Church. We were JSEM, Jehosungdo English Ministry, really annoying name to say. But JSEM, and then we switched to New Philly, and there was a new anointing that poured out. The same thing, when we changed to Emmaus, there was a, new, there was a newness, a freshness that came out on this ministry, and you guys are the fruit of that ministry. And it's amazing, because when I was here back then, I would lead worship. It would go to maybe the third row, and that was it. And we had like 30 to 40 students, 40 on a really good day. And we had students like Judy. We had Tina. Tina was in my familia way back, and now she's on staff. It's kind of crazy to think about. But this ministry has really been going from glory to glory to glory. And when we say the glory of the latter house, the glory of the you know, latter house greater than the former, it's so true and so manifest in this ministry. And we see it all over because even now, what you guys are starting out at this semester in terms of numbers is what they ended at last semester. So you guys are going from glory to glory, and it's so amazing. I'm so honored and privileged to come here to deliver the Word of God to you. And so just a little bit about myself. Uh, Pastor Aaron already shared, but I'm married to the beautiful Jane. It's really, you know, and if you were there to hear the vows, you know, I talk about how, you know, a woman of God is like the crown that you wear, you know, and you proudly display her you know, everywhere I go. And so this is my crown. <laughs> you guys will be married soon enough. And then you can say corny things and cheesy things like that. <laughs> uh. Now, it really is an exciting time to be in Korea for you guys and an even more exciting time to be part of this ministry. I know you guys need to be at the retreat. You guys need to be at the retreat. You need to be at the retreat. And I feel it right now. There's going to be some crazy stuff happening. Crazy stuff. And God's going to reveal so much about your future. And I mean each individual person, your futures. It's going to be released and it's going to be prophesied over you. And you're going to just walk in a new level, in a new dispensation. Oh, man, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm not even going to be there. And I'm excited for your retreat. Because when you guys get blessed, we get blessed too. All right, so today's scripture, let's turn to our Bibles. comes from First Chronicles chapter 15. Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 13. First Chronicles, chapter 13, verse 5 to 14. 
right? First Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5 to 14. So I'll be reading from the ESV, and I think a bunch of you have different versions, so I'll just read it out loud. So it's entitled Uzzah and the Ark. David on, am I pronouncing that correctly? Uzzah? Uzzah? <laughs> He's in seminary. He should know. <laughs> but he's spending too much time here and not studying for his classes. <laughs> all right, starting from verse 5. So David assembled all Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Lebo Hameth to bring the ark of God from Kiriath Jerim. And David and all Israel went up to Bala, and that is to Kiriath Jerim that belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio were driving the cart. And David and all of Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand to the ark. He died there before God, we serve a gangster God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark home into the city of David to Jerusalem, but he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obed-Edom in his house three months and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. This is the word of the Lord. You guys say thanks be to God. Please bow with me with the word of prayer. All right, dear Jesus, we just thank you um, for your word that goes forth today. We declare, Lord, your word is like a double-edged sword. We declare, Lord, when your word goes forth, it never comes back empty. So I declare, Lord, as your word goes forth, may it fill the hearts of your sons and your daughters in this room. Yeah, we thank you, Lord. We praise you. We pray, Lord, that you will just give us a greater understanding of what it means to fear you in a godly way, in a right way, and not to be scared, but to be edified in the fear of the Lord. We thank you so much for what you're doing here. We bless this room. We bless all the people in this room. We bless this ministry. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to preach today about the fear of the Lord. Ooh, the fear of the Lord. And I believe this is something that is so important, but it's so seldom taught about in the church. You know, we hear about the fear of the Lord not that often. The only time we really hear about the fear of the Lord is when we cite Proverbs 1-7. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, you know, of all knowledge. And aside from there, we don't really talk too much about the fear of the Lord. We're so preoccupied with the love of God, the amazing Love of God, this love that covers all your sin, this love that hugs you and, you know, hears you cry. You know, this love that never runs dry, this love that never fails, this love that it will always be with you every single day of your life, every single second, every single minute, and will never turn its back on you. We talk about this love so often, and it's such a good thing. But I want to challenge you today as I talk about the fear of the Lord, because only as much as we fear the Lord can we experience God's love? Only as much as we fear the Lord, as only as much as we understand the fear of the Lord, can we understand the full depth, the 
the full love, you know, the full meaning of the love of God. And when we think of the word fear, you know, we think, you know, things that are scary. You know, when I was thinking about the sermon, I thought instantly of uh, a couple of my favorite movies. And, you know, I like some weird movies, but these are movies that you guys have probably heard of. Dark Knight. Yeah? Who's heard of that movie? How about Dark Knight Rises? Who's seen Dark Knight Rises? Who's seen the first Dark Knight? All right, all right. Batman is one of my favorite characters. Growing up, I watched that cartoon every single day. It doesn't matter if it was a rerun. It doesn't matter if, you know, I, ha- I was, had homework to do. You know, it didn't matter. You know, my mom would come and hit me, but I would still watch the show because I loved Batman, and I wanted to be Batman. And he was amazing because he was a bat, right? <laughs> Who the heck chooses a bat logo? And if you know the story, the reason he picked a bat was because when he was a child, he fell down into that cave, and there were bats there, and they scared him, and he was definitely afraid of bats. But when he chose to take on the identity of Batman, he chose the bat because he wanted to conquer that fear so he could conquer all the bad guys. And so when we see the movie, I didn't even get to the message yet, but that's good. You know, when we see the movie The Dark Knight, you know, we notice a few things about Batman. You know, he's pretty jacked. He's got big muscles. He's got a nice six-pack. You know, he's got... Who was that? <laughs> Jisoo? Jisoo. <laughs> He's got all the gadgets, you know, he's got those muscles, he's got that mask, and he strikes fear into the villains. And he's also got this super low voice. You know, they actually digitally lower his voice. You know, it's not actually, um, what's his name? Uh, Christian Bale's actual voice, but they lower it to reach that pitch. You know, I'm not really good at impersonations, but this is the one impersonation I'm really good at. Where is she? What is she doing? I'm Batman. Should I preach like this? All right, it's a scary voice. You know, and there's this parody on YouTube. I suggest you guys all go watch it. It's one of my favorite, favorite videos. But when we think of fear, we think of things like Batman. We think things that scare us. We think of scary movies we watched in the past. And I love scary movies. I get so scared when I watch it. But afterwards, I love that thrill. I love the suspense. I love getting scared. My wife, mm-mm. she doesn't like to be scared, so I just try to scare her a lot. But it doesn't work out too well for me. Anyway, but when we choose to conquer fear, you know, when we choose to conquer our fears, there's something that happens inside of us. I don't know why I got into that. But we'll get into conquering fear. Um, we're fearful of so many things in this world. We are fearful of so many things in this world. And a lot of them are really irrational things. And if you look on the web, if you look on the internet for irrational phobias, you'll get a list of thousands of things. I actually just found out when I married my wife. She has this phobia. Right, one thing is me putting my feet on the bed. Right, that one we won't talk about. But another one is on the pillow. I'm sorry. Not the bed, not the bed. Without, without, without cleaning the feet first. But one thing that she does have is something called trypophobia. Anyone ever heard of that? Trypophobia? All right, it's the fear of clusters of circles. All right, does anyone here have it? A few of you? It's actually pretty common among Asians. I don't know why. But I found out she has trypophobia. And then, so when there's these pictures of clusters of circles, she can't look at it. It's kind of interesting. 
But there's a lot of other common phobias out there. The top 12 fears, I found a list. The number one fear is speaking before a group of people. This was my number one fear in high school and all the way up through college. It wasn't until recently that God really delivered me from that fear. Another fear is heights. That's about 30% of people have a fear of heights. But I don't really count that as a fear because I feel like that's a rational fear. You know, because if you're somewhere really high, you might fall off and you might die. It's like a real legitimate fear. Some people have fears of insects and bugs, financial problems, deep water, disease, death, flying, loneliness, dogs, driving, etc., etc. Some people ha- are even afraid of the dark. Anyone in here afraid of the dark? <laughs> who, st- who still sleeps with the nightlight? <laughs> I know there's a few of you. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll pray for you later. But uh, one of the most bizarre fears, defenestrophobia. Anyone know what the word defenestrate means? I'm a huge nerd, by the way. Defenestrate. It means to throw out of a window. It's a fear of getting thrown out of a window. There's saltomophobia, which is the fear of ketchup. I had a friend who had that. There's, and this one, this one's bananaphobia. It's exactly what it sounds like. You're afraid of bananas. And when I was in college, I went on a missions trip, and this guy on my team, uh, I'll just say his name. His name is Fabian. This guy on my team, Fabian, he said he was afraid of bananas, and we all thought he was joking. And I, we were on the missions field, and one time we were just chilling around. There was a banana. We're like, hey, Fabian. And then he saw it coming, and he just ran the other direction. <laughs> we are like, what type of you know, traumatic experience did you have as a kid that you're afraid of bananas? But as much as we have irrational fears, we also have a lot of rational fears, such as a lot of us are afraid of our parents. I don't know how many of you got spanked growing up. A few of you? All right. I don't know. Yeah, I, I got spanked. I had a fear of my mom. My dad, my mom always did the discipline. And every time she had the mosquito swatter. Anyone else mosquito swatter? A few of you? Okay. And in time, she took that out, and there were no mosquitoes. <laughs> I knew. I knew it was coming. And I don't know. It didn't hurt that much, but just the fact that I was getting hit with the same thing she killed mosquitoes with, it just <laughs> wasn't a very good feeling. And a lot of us, we have a fear of failure. We have a fear of loneliness, of not getting married. We have a fear of poverty. We have a fear of being poor. We have a fear of even success. We fear being successful. We fear having that responsibility. And some of us, we even have a fear of God. But a lot of times, it's not the right type of fear of God. All right, I'm going to talk to you about the two types of fear today. And I'm going to be really simple and easy. We're going to label them good fear and bad fear. All right? Good fear and bad fear. Just keep it real simple. Bad fear is fear that takes you away from the presence of God. Well, good fear is the fear that takes you closer to the presence of God. And you can actually use this classification system. I didn't copyright it, but you can actually use this for anything. Anything good takes you closer to God. Anything bad takes you away from God. But we're going to do this today with fear. All right, so let's go back to that story. And it's an interesting story. I'm sure many of you have heard it before. Many of you haven't. But it talks about the ark of God. This was God's house. This is what he lived in in the Old Testament before Solomon King Solomon built the house of the Lord before he built the temple of the Lord. This is what God lived in. And the ark, it was just like this small container that carried it around. And inside of it, it contained the Ten Commandments, contained um, Aaron, Aaron and Moses, his staff, 
and it contained a jar of manna, right, from back of the Israelites when they were in the desert. So the Ark of God contained these things, and it also contained the very presence of God. So it was something to be revered. And so because this Ark kept on moving locations as kings in Israel did not defend themselves right, you know, because they were supposed to ask the ark and pray before the ark for guidance from God, but they didn't, and they would lose wars. And this ark would keep on changing hands. And eventually, the Philistines had it. And it was funny, because when the Philistines had it, what happened was different, you know, different plagues started going around. And the scripture says there were rats that, you know, a plague of rats that came out, and then there was a plague of boils over their body. And the funny thing, you know, know the last one? Hemorrhoids. There was a plague of hemorrhoids. And so wherever, it must have been a pain in the butt, right? <laughs> Sorry. But, you know, these different things happened when the presence of God was with the Philistines. How many of you know that what may cause blessing for us Christians and those who believe in God may actually be a curse for those who don't? Anyways, King David, he comes and he finally decides the ark of God needs to be back in Jerusalem, back in the city, and back where he is. And so he goes and he brings all these people, and he goes to take the ark of God back to Jerusalem. And what he doesn't do is he doesn't really, well, he knows what he has to do, but he's just so preoccupied with bringing the ark back that he doesn't take the proper protocol. Because the ark of God can only be carried by a certain race of people, the Levites, the priestly class of Israel, they can only be carried by the Levites, you know, on the, sh- on the shoulders and taken in step by step into Jerusalem. But because the Philistines had brought it around on a cart, David thinks, oh, we might as well do that too. And so he bring- puts it on a cart. He puts oxen, you know, guiding the cart. And he has a couple of people drive the oxen, Uzzah and Ahio. And so what happens is they go and they go most of the way and they're about 10 kilometers or six miles from Jerusalem, and they get to the stretch, and they call it the threshing floor. And what you need to know about the threshing floor, it's actually the smoothest terrain on that journey. It's the easiest terrain. But on that terrain, for some reason, the oxen slip, and Uzzah, who is not a Levite, who is not part of the group of people that can touch the Ark of God, and to try to stop the Ark of God from falling down and breaking or whatever, he puts his hand on it, to stabilize it and to put it back up. And as soon as he does that, he gets killed. God kills him right away. Uzzah's intentions were good. He wanted to save the glory of God from falling down to the floor. And he wanted to worship God in that. But God still kills him anyway. Because David and because Uzzah did not have a proper fear of the Lord. They didn't have a proper fear of the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. They might have had good intentions, And they might have wanted to worship God, but they didn't have a fear of the Lord. Neither did David. And so David's reaction to this is that of anger. He's so angry at God for his mistake, for him not doing what was right. He gets angry at God, and he kind of has a little kid spasm, you know, and he just... What's the word? He has a tantrum. He has a tantrum like a little child. And he just like, you know, he blames God for it. He gets angry at God. And he just says, he has the fear of the Lord on him. He's afraid of God. 
He says that he's afraid of God and he doesn't want to be near the presence because he also doesn't want to die. And so what he does is he doesn't take it to his home and he leaves it for three months because he's scared of God. When your fear causes you to be distant from God, this is not the right type of fear. Because David was afraid. He was afraid of God. It was a fear of God, but it wasn't the right type because it caused him to be distant from the, from the presence of the Lord. Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver, and he's a counterfeiter. All right? Satan seeks to counterfeit every good thing that God does. For all the gifts of God, for all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there is a counterfeit version that Satan has. For example, the gift of prophecy. It's, a, it's an amazing gift, and I'd love to preach about it someday. But Satan has a counterfeit in tarot cards and fortune telling. That's a counterfeit version of the real thing. But same thing, when there's anger, righteous anger that God has, that's a good thing. A righteous anger for justice that God holds. Satan also counterfeits that with an anger that seeks to punish, that has no righteous backing, that has nothing to it. And in the same way that there is a fear, a righteous fear of God that is good, there's also a counterfeit fear that Satan instills in the people around him. All right? And so we can see this. You know, that's the counterfeit spirit, you know, maybe in Samsung and Apple. Right? <laughs> Samsung copied Apple's iPhone in that first model. And if you know me, I'm a huge Samsung fan, but I'll admit it. They copied Apple. They took a good thing. They made a counterfeit of it that was nowhere near the same quality. I think they've caught up a lot, and they're better, but that's another story. <laughs> don't tell it to Pastor Christian. <laughs> uh, when we don't have a proper fear of the Lord, that opens up the door for us to fear other things. When we don't fear God appropriately, when our level of respect and offer God is not at the right level, then we open up the door for Satan to come in and bring us to fear things that we don't need to fear. If you know anything about Satan, he has no power. In Matthew 28, it says, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's what Jesus says. All power in heaven and on earth. Even though Satan is called the prince of the earth, you know, Jesus says, it doesn't matter. That power of heaven and earth is given to him. And so if Jesus, if God has all the power, that leaves none for Satan. So the only power that Satan can have is the power that we give him. It's the power that we allow him to have. Because he has no inherent power, only the power that we give him. And so, what was I? So the proper fear of the Lord, that opens the door. When we don't fear Lord, the Lord properly, then that allows fear to creep in. So we see the, the word for fear in Scripture and the Hebrew is yira. And what I've read about in different commentaries is that this word yira doesn't mean exactly the same thing as fear. They say the word for fear is so small compared to what yira actually represents. Because when you say yira, there's a fear to it, but then there's also a reverence and an awe and a worship factor that comes from revering an amazing, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing God. There is a yira that comes from that that is not really encompassed by this small word fear. And so when God is talking about fearing the Lord, he's talking about more than just being scared of God. He's talking about more than just being scared of punishment from God. Because when we fear something, 
that's other than God. We're actually worshiping it. When you fear something, you're giving it power over you that it didn't inherently have. It only has the power that you give it. All the fears you have in your life, aside from the fear of the Lord, it's from you. You have control over it because you're giving it fear. And when you don't have proper fear and trust in the Lord, you allow those other things, those other fears to come into your life. If you fear loneliness, what you're actually worshiping is relationships. Because you depend on them to save you from a lonely, meaningless life. If you fear not being accepted or esteemed or acknowledged, what you actually worship is your social network. All you sanguine people out there. Are you worship? <laughs> Sorry, Pastor. <laughs> you worship your social network, your friends, the way you look, the car you drive. You worship the amount of money you make because that helps you to reach your goal. If you fear insignificance, you end up worshiping your career. You end up worshiping the things that give you value. If you fear your parents, all right, you're actually worshiping your parents. It's nowhere in Scripture does it say to worship your parents. Scripture is very clear. You honor your parents, and you fear God, you worship God. So when you fear your parents, all right, Satan will come and tell you that you're honoring them. But you're not honoring them. You're just worshiping them. It's a very different thing because you're only allowed to fear and worship God. So let me call it out for what it is. If you have fear in your life, it's idolatry. If you have fear in your life, it's idolatry. You're worshiping Satan. You're not worshiping God. You're worshiping Satan. When you succumb to fear, you're succumbing to Satan, and you're saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't have faith in you. My fear of you is smaller than my fear of man, my fear of being lonely, my fear of not knowing what to do, my fear of whatever it is that you're fearing. When we fear, we're putting our faith in Satan and in bad things happening rather than our faith in God who says he works all things for the good of those who love him. In the story of the prodigal son, the son, the prodigal son, he has a fear of insignificance. He fears his life will not amount to anything. And so he actually doesn't have a fear of the father in the first part of the story because he so blatantly disrespects his father by asking for his inheritance early. By asking for his inheritance early, he's actually asking and pretty much telling his dad, I'd rather have you dead than be my father. He doesn't really have a proper fear of his father. And when he comes back, after he squandered all the money, wasted all the money, lived a good life, and realized that had no basis, no substance, he comes back with the fear of his father. But again, I want to tell you, it's not the right fear of his God, the right fear of his father, because we know that when, he ta- when he's preparing a speech, he has no idea about the character of his father, because he expects his father to disown him. So when he has a fear of him, it is an unfounded fear of his father. And it takes him away from the character of his father. Many of us, we fear punishment from the Lord. We fear that God will punish us. But we don't actually fear the Lord. We fear his punishment. When we learn just to be afraid of punishment, when we're just afraid of that punishment, what we're learning to do is self-preservation. When we're afraid of punishment, we're actually just learning self-preservation and not the fear of the Lord. I just got married uh, a couple months ago. And it's been an amazing journey so far. I recommend you all get married. It's, 
It's amazing. But it's also what they don't tell you. It's the learning experience. It's the learning experience of your life. And I studied a lot of things in my life. I love facts. I love learning. I love information. But learning about my wife is completely different. It takes a different type of mentality. And in the beginning, I tried to figure out all the things that I did or that I could do that would upset my wife. And I would try to figure it out, and I would have a list in my head. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Maybe a little bit of that, but you can't go that far. And I had a list of things that I could not do because I was afraid that it would upset my wife. And I thought I was being a good husband, a loving husband, because I didn't want my wife to be upset. I wanted her to smile. But when I was doing all this and when I was not trying to make her upset, what I realized was I was forgetting the things that made her happy. When you're so focused on that punishment, when you're so focused on not getting in trouble, you forget what makes God happy. You forget what pleases the Lord. When the fear of the Lord makes us so scared about doing the wrong thing and we're so scared and we don't want to miss a quiet time, we don't want to do this, we don't want to turn the internet on because we're so scared, it's probably not the right fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord should bring you closer to God's presence and his character. Let's look at another uh, scripture reading for today. So there's a second half to that. We're going to turn to the book of 2 Samuel. So this account is in both Chronicles and Samuel, but we're going to turn to the Samuel version for the second part. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 to 15. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 to 15. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 to 15. And I'll just read it from the ESV. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and he was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of the horn. The second time around, David, the man after God's own heart, he gets it right. He gets it right. Because he has the fear of the Lord, but this time it is the right fear of the Lord. David makes sure that it's the Levites, or in I didn't want to put in the whole passage, it was really long. But he makes sure that it's the Levites only that are carrying the ark on their shoulders, going step by step, and not in a man-made cart. David makes sure that all of Israel is there for this, that everyone is there. And he makes sure that there is music, and there is dancing, and there is worship that is happening while this happens. He makes sure that the proper sacrifices are also made. And you know, I looked this up, but the distance from Ebed-Edom's house to Jerusalem was about six miles, ten kilometers. And if they slaughtered an ox and a fattened animal every six steps, one, two, six. All right, that's over 6,000 dead oxen and fatty animals. Every six steps they walked, they would cut and kill an oxen and a fatty animal. And while that's happening, David is dancing with all his might, 
besides all that blood. So I'm thinking there was this trail, a pool of blood that extended for six miles that followed the ark of God. David made sure that every single commandment of the Lord was being followed down to the T. A lot of times when we are asked to do very specific things, we don't like it. When our pastors maybe tell us to do things that are very specific and we don't understand, we might not like it. When my boss at work tells me to do something very specific specific, and I don't agree with it, I don't like it. And when I do it, I do it really begrudgingly. When I give my students math questions on a test, they don't like that. But what they don't like even more is when I tell them on the directions, show all your work, check your answers. They hate that because they don't see a need for that. It seems pointless. And whenever I say that, they roll their eyes, all right, and they groan, and they're like, Mr. Kim, can't we do that? Can't we just say the answer? We know it. I'm like, nope, you got to show your work, show the process, show the steps, and, you know, circle your answer. I don't want to find it in that mess of handwriting. And check that answer to make sure it's right. And they'll groan, and they'll be just little kids. But David, when God tells him to do things very specifically and to follow it down to the T and to all the dots of the letter, he doesn't do it begrudgingly. What it says in Scripture is that he danced before the Lord with all his might. He worshipped God. He worshipped God with everything that he had. And he did it with shouting and rejoicing and praise and celebration. This is the right fear of the Lord. When you're living in the fear of the Lord, you do God's commandments with rejoicing and with happiness. There's no begrudging in your voice. So the second time around, David has the right idea of the fear of the Lord. He's drawn to worship. So let's just review this. A bad fear of the Lord drives you away from God's presence, while a correct fear of the Lord drives you closer to God's presence, and it results in worship. Now, there's also, um, for the fear of God, it's written all over Scripture. It's mentioned over 200 times in the Bible, from the, New T- from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. It's there over and over again. And we see in the Psalms that David wrote after this incident that he has a proper understanding of the fear of the Lord. Let me just read you a few of these. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. He writes in Psalm 31.19, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you. Then he says, Psalm 34.9, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want, there is no desire, there is no need to those who fear him. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. That's from Psalm 112. I just want to share a quick testimony with you about some of the fears that I had struggled with in my life. And Pastor Aaron mentioned, or I mentioned that I was a worship leader at the 81 campus. And one of the biggest fears in my life, it was not just being in front of people, in front of a crowd, but it was music. I feared music because starting from when I was really young, my mom would force music on me. And I started piano lessons when I was in first grade. And me and my brother, we would go around the house and we would hide 15 minutes before every piano lesson. We'd just go to the, anywhere we could inside the house and we would hide. And I remember it was so much fun. And every week, 
my mom would go looking for us frantically before the piano lesson, and she would take us to the piano lesson. And me and my brother would like hold on to the doors of the car and not go in as long as we possibly could. And that's kind of what we did. And my mom would always tell us, you need to practice more. And she would tell us, you know, you're umchi, which means you're tone deaf. You're pakchi, you're rhythm deaf. You know, you can't do this. And my mom's like, you have to do it like this. You have to do it like this. No, that pitch is wrong. You can't play that note. She would tell that to, tell that to us all the time. And I remember one week, me and my brother, we hid. And we were waiting for my mom to come find us. It was 5 o'clock, the lesson. 4.45, we hid. And around 5.30, we were still hiding. And we got out, and my mom had left the house. And that was, that's how we stopped taking piano lessons. <laughs> we were kind of messed up kids. But I had a fear of music inside of me, and especially when coupled with the fear of music in front of people. I just didn't want anything to do with it. And so when I was in college, I started picking up the bass guitar a little bit because my college fellowship needed it, needed someone to play the bass guitar. And so it was really easy. You just play G, D, E minor, C, and maybe this A minor or F here and there, and you can get through 80% of the songs. It's pretty easy. <laughs> you know, single notes, it was really nice. And then that my sophomore year, my worship leader, he was a senior, he was graduating, he's like, Brian, I feel like God wants you to be the next worship leader on this campus. And I was like, no. <laughs> Heck no. I don't sing, I don't play guitar, I'm umchi, I'm pakchi. I'm not doing this. I can't do this. I can play bass a little bit, but, you know, I can't lead worship. At that, that, that time, I'd never learned guitar or anything. Never taken vocal lessons, none of that. I've never even been in choir. All I knew about music was that I was bad at it. That was about it. And I had this fear of music. And it was, it was not a godly fear of music. And I remember that winter, I went to a retreat called Oil. Anyone been to Oil? A few of you guys? Anyway, it's this big retreat. It's like a thousand people in this stuffy room, one single room, and everyone gets sick. And it's, but I went to this one seminar about worship. And as I was listening to the seminar about worship, God, the conviction of God just fell on me so hard. Conviction of God, it just fell on me. And the fear of the Lord fell on me in a way that I had never experienced it before. And I realized at that time that me not agreeing to this, what God had called me so clearly to do, was not right that I was in disobedience to God. And when the fear of the Lord came, it convicted me of my sin and allowed me to see that maybe I could do this because I wasn't the one doing it, but it was God. And so I said yes. You know, I called my worship leader in tears after that. And I was like, well, I'll do it. I'll lead worship. He's like, okay, good for you. And... And then so he just kind of left me, and he, he's like, all right, you lead worship next weekend. He, he didn't tell me anything. Or it was, like a few, it was like a month down the line. And I did it, and it wasn't so bad. And God's, the presence of God just showed up, and that's how I started leading worship. And I still lead worship to this day, and, you know, I'm not, yeah, I got to say, that fear, it took a lot to get it out of me. And it took, what, what it really took was coming to Korea and being coming under adoption, coming under sonship. And that's what I want to challenge you all with tonight. I see that God has plans for all of you. He has mighty plans, big dreams. And if you all have parents like me, a lot of those parents try to squash those dreams and try to fit you to doing something that they want you to do. And I just see it in you guys' eyes right now that there's a bunch of you 
that God has mighty callings, whether it's in music, whether it's in creative arts, whatever it may be in, whether it's speaking in front of crowds, in front of congregations, whether it's speaking in front of conferences. You know, when I look out, I see that. I see the future of this country. I see the future of America, people with the creative edge to really do some damage in the business world, in the media mountain, and just to do all these different things. But what I also see is fear, a fear of your parents, a fear of man, a fear of not, fear of yourself that you won't be able to do it and that you're just wasting your time. But I want to challenge you guys today and let you know that the fear of God is real. And the reason that we can fear God is because he is so much bigger than anything. I just remember a couple months ago, I had a friend, um, Billy, and his a really good friend, Billy, and his brother was diagnosed with cancer, with leukemia, and it was a year-long struggle. He had finally passed away, and it was, you know, I was, I was, I was broken. But during that time was also a time when I was prepping for my wedding. I was prepping for my wedding, and as Min Jane would argue about all these things about the wedding, you know, when we started praying and interceding for Teddy, and that became our new barometer, when we looked at the petty little fears that we had for our wedding and like the little concerns that we had, it just put it all into perspective. When you have a fear of God that is right, it puts all your other fears into perspective. It puts all your other fears into perspective because God is so big. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He knows everything. He knows the hairs on your head. He's made every single little piece of you. He knows it all. He knows what he's put on your heart. He knows about the creativity. He knows about the musical ability. He knows that because he's given it to you and he's crafted you so precisely where none of you are exactly the same. Right? Even me and my brother, I have a twin brother. We're not exactly the same, even though we have that same DNA. Same thing. All of you have your own unique callings and gifts. And I want to challenge you today. Put that into perspective with the fear of the Lord. When you see how amazing our God is and what he can do, all those other little fears will start to fade away. Uh, let's, let's pray. I want you to put you, just to put yourselves in a posture of prayer. we're going to ask God to reveal some things that maybe you haven't thought about, you haven't seen, or maybe you've never even experienced it yet. But we're going to ask God to reveal the secrets that are in us. We're going to ask God to reveal the secrets that are in us tonight. I want us just to spend some time praying right now. And let's just ask God, what is it that you've given me? What is it that you've put inside of me? What is the unique thing that you've given me? What is the calling that you've put on my life? Maybe some of you already know. I feel like just a lot of you, just because you're in college, you don't know that just yet. But I know that God has this amazing plan for you, that he wants to break off any fear that is there. Let's pray.